And kids are welcome to go downstairs and head to their classes. All, all kids up through fifth grade are welcome to go down. They're welcome to hang out up here too. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Judges chapter 6 as we continue our series on the book of Judges this summer. Last week we looked at Deborah, how God used Deborah and Barak and Jael to deliver his people in, Deb- in, in Judges chapter 4. Chapter 5 basically retells that story, but using poetry and song and praise. And uh, at the end of chapter 5, it says that the Israelites then experienced rest for 40 years after that. But sadly, the same old refrain happens again at the beginning of chapter 6, where it says again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They, They turned away from him. They refuse to listen to him, to be faithful to him. And, and so God allows the Midianites, he allows Midian to, to oppress them and to conquer them. And, and it gets really bad. I mean, basically what happens with Midian over the course of seven years is every, the Midianites would, would come through the land and, and they'd sweep through and they'd take all of the crops of the Israelites. They'd take all of their animals, everything. And the, the Israelites, it says at the beginning of chapter six, that they were forced to actually go up into the mountains and live in caves. And so they've kind of reached a new low point here in the book of Judges. You know, it's been getting bad, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. And, and, uh, and so they're living in caves, afraid of the, these, these terrifying Midianites and all that they're taking from them. They're hiding out. And, uh, and then they cry out to God again. And first what God does in, in chapter 6 is he sends a prophet to remind them, guys, this is not because God has abandoned you, it's because you have been failing to listen. Because you have not listened. God is allowing this to happen. And then um, he sends a deliverer. Well, he he chooses a deliverer. He comes and meets with a guy named Gideon. And that's what we're going to look at in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 to 24. Listen to God's word as I read. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Listen to God's word. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring, you, bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that the angel of the Lord, that, that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, as we think about this passage here in Judges, that you would work in us. Our souls are famished, and we need you to feed us from your word. Father, we pray that you would do so. We pray that you would fill us. We pray that you would convict us. We pray that you would comfort us. We pray that you would change us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've spent my life hiding. I've spent my life trying to be as invisible as possible in a lot of scenarios. Um, especially as I grew up going to, going to school and in class. I really, that was like my number one value in, as a student is trying to be invisible, trying to hide as much as I can. I have vivid memories because I, I was so afraid of being called on, of having the wrong answer, of looking dumb. I was so afraid of what other people would think of me if I didn't have any answer at all. I was just so afraid. And, and so I have vivid memories of, you know, always like whenever a teacher asks a question, just kind of like shifting my body just enough so that you know, the head in front of me is completely hiding my face from view, thinking that, that somehow I would escape the teacher's notice and she wouldn't call on me, you know? And uh, this all ended up with, there, I had a really traumatic moment in college, actually. This, you know, this followed me on into, into, into college. I, I, I signed up for this class. It was a general studies class in, on psychology. And so there was a, it was a big class. There were like 100 students in this class. And I was like, oh, surely I can be invisible in this class. You know, there's so many students. How can the teacher notice me? And so I walk in on the first day, and, and apparently they're trying out this brand new state-of-the-art classroom, okay, where every seat has these buttons at them, and there's a giant screen on the front, in the front of the classroom. And so you can, like, take, the teacher can take polls, and you can, you know, answer questions, and they can show the polls up on the screens in real time. But also what the teacher had the ability to do is put a map of all the seats on the screen. And then it was kind of like a game show where she would, like, press a button if she had a question, and all the seats would, like, light up at different times, and it would land on one, you know? <laughs> and that would be the person she called on. So you know where this is going, right? So the, the first first class, I, I go in there, and she just, you know, she's talking about how this classroom is so cool that, that we're in. She wants to just try out this thing, and so the very first time, boop, 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 boop it lands right on my, my seat, right? And so this is a pretty, you know, innocent question. She's just like asking, you know, who I am and like what's my major or something like that. So I'm like, oh, great. This is, this is not good. And so I come back for the next class. I'm like, surely if I sit in the same seat, what are the odds that I'm going to be picked again. So I sat in the same seat, and then, and again, she, she's like lecturing a little bit, and then she comes to a place where she wants to ask a question. She presses the button, da, 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 lands on my seat again. 
And then she does it again, and it lands on my seat again. For some reason, she doesn't like it's broken, or she hasn't been able to reset the thing or something, so it keeps landing on me. I'm like, there's no place for me to hide. Needless to say, I dropped the class after the first week. It's like, I'm not taking any more chances in there. I've, I've like spent my life trying to hide in the classroom settings, for sure. Um, one way, one, for one reason or another, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've spent my life hiding because I'm afraid of looking like a fool. I'm afraid of failing. Um, I'm afraid of not being enough, um, not having enough. And I, I know that I think every single one of us probably has spent their lives hiding at different times for different reasons. Maybe it's not because you're afraid of failing, but it might be. Um, maybe it's because you're ashamed of something in your life. Um, maybe it is because you uh, are hiding from pain and grief. Um, and you're hiding from what others might think of you, uh, if you're really honest about who you are. We, we all spend our lives hiding uh, for different reasons, um, whether it's a, a fear of judgment or failure, uh, because you don't want to face something that's really hard or overwhelming. Um, this chapter we're looking at this morning begins with a guy who's hiding. That's what Gideon's doing, right? Um, he is uh, beating out wheat in a wine press. And it says it's because he's trying to hide it from the Midianites. And so when you're you know, beating out wheat, what, you're, what you would normally, normally do is you'd go out into a, kind of an open area, an open field, because as you, as you kind of uh, sift through the wheat, you're trying to get rid of the, the chaff, and how, so that would, be, that would blow away as you're getting the good stuff. And so you would not normally do it in a wine press, which is like a hollowed out kind of like circle and a rock, and, and it's kind of con confined space. Um, but he's in there because he's hiding. He doesn't want the Midianites. The Midianites have been coming through regularly and just taking stuff, right? He's afraid of what he might be taken from him. He's afraid of what the Midian Midianites might do to him if they see him, so he's hiding. He's hiding. And I can relate to him. I can relate to his desire to hide. I mean, I can relate to the fact that he's, you know, he is. He's worried about a legitimate threat of what the Midianites might, Midianites might do, of what might be taken from him, of how it might cost him, of what loss he might experience. I, I can relate to him because I can imagine he was feeling very alone, out there by himself in a, in a wine press, trying to do something he's not supposed to be doing in there. It's probably frustrating. I can, I can relate to the shame that he probably experiences and feels in there, you know, having to do this, you know, in secret because he's not strong enough to deal with the threat that might come. And so he's hiding. And, and, and what I want to look at this morning is four ways as God comes to him, four ways that God interacts with him, four things that God says to him that kind of coax him out of hiding because God wants to use him. And I hope that we can hear these same things so that, so that we don't hide either, that my, God might use us. Okay, so first, I want to point out how God, the very first thing God does uh, as the angel of the Lord appears to him is he reminds Gideon of his presence, right? That's the very first thing that he says. He says in, in, in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. 
He doesn't just say it once, he says it again later in the passage. In verse 16, after Gideon is kind of trying to protest, um, he says, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I will be with you. The Lord is with you. That's what you need to know, Gideon. I know that you're scared. I know that you feel alone. I know that you, you don't feel like you have the strength or the wisdom or the, the ability to do what needs to be done, but I am going to be with you. The Lord, the one who has created all things, the one who sustains all things, the one who is ultimate in power and wisdom and strength, I will be with you. You don't have to be afraid. And so, simply, I think we need to know this. No matter what we are facing right now, no matter how, no matter how big of a challenge that you are dealing with right now, no matter how overwhelmed you might feel, God is saying today, if you are willing to take me up on the invitation to trust me, I will be with you. I will be with you. My strength will be with you. You are not alone. And you won't be alone. I can't tell you how, how encouraging that is for me Often, as I'm living my life, I, I feel very alone. Just even as I'm like walking, you know, sometimes I'll be here and uh, all by myself and I'll be leaving the building and I'll be walking out to my car alone and I'll be thinking about things that need to be done or challenges that I'm facing and I'll, I'll be like, I'll feel very much like it's all on me. <laughs> I've got to fix this. I've got to solve this. I've got to deal with this. And then just the other day, like I was walking out on that, that, that sidewalk right out there and I was just reminded as I'm, you know, thinking about this passage, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. No matter, you might feel like everybody else has abandoned you. You might feel like no one else understands what you are enduring, but God is with you. It's as simple as that. And if we know that, that should move us a little bit, you know, to to take a little bit of a step out of the wine press ourselves. (laughs) out of the places where we hide. But then in the first sentence, God also pronounces something to assure Gideon. If you keep reading, he says, the Lord is with you, and then he says, O mighty man of valor. O mighty man of valor. And as, as he says this to Gideon, it's, it's kind of ironic, right? As Gideon is hiding out in the wine press, trying to do what he needs to do, um, afraid, He doesn't seem like a mighty man of valor at this moment in time. I'm sure he doesn't feel like a mighty man of valor. And that's what God calls him, a mighty man of valor. Is God just making fun of him? Is he just like, is this a joke? Is he just like trying to, you know, make all the other angels like, you know, laugh? I would say no. I don't think he's making fun of Gideon. I think he's actually doing the opposite. I think he's trying to, emboldened Gideon. I think he's doing maybe something similar to what Jesus did with Peter. We looked at that, how Jesus interacted with Peter, and Jesus called Peter a rock. You know, everything that Peter wasn't, Jesus called him. You are a rock, Peter. Um, and I think it's, 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 this is what God does, is he, is he pronounces things that are not. Um, 
in spite of the fact that Gideon is not a mighty man of valor, at least by all, all appearances. And he doesn't think of himself as a mighty man of valor. As you continue looking, you know, how, does, how does Gideon think of himself? He says, you know, please, Lord, how can I save Israel in verse 15? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. That's how Gideon sees himself. But God says, no, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor because that's what I've called you. That's what I'm going to make of you. It's all tied to your relationship with me, to me. Make no mistakes about it. It's because I'm with you. It's because I send you. That's why you're a man of might. But that's who you are. That's who you need to believe yourself to be, Gideon, because of who I am and what I say. And I, I would say that this is a massive part about what it means to, to live life in relationship to God to live life as a Christian. One of the foundational things that we need to get in the habit of doing on a daily basis, this will practically change how we live, is to get used to listening to what God says about me, to what, listening to what God, who God says I am rather than listening to anybody else or listening to myself. I'm like the worst perpetrator. You know, how many times I, I'm getting better at it, but uh, you know, especially when I was a little kid, I was always like the first to be like, oh, I stink, I'm a loser. I still say that to myself sometimes, honestly. When I mess up, as a dad, as a husband, I mean, as a pastor, come on, you're a mess. I need to get in the habit of listening to what God says about who I am. I need to let him, I need to, I need to listen to his words about me where he says, you are my beloved child. That's who you are. You are my treasured possession. That's who you are. You are my delight. That's who you are. I need to listen to him and what he calls me, right? You are my friend. You are my friend. That's what God says to me. That's what Jesus says to me. I need to get in the habit of hearing God announce me whenever I walk into any room. You know, have you ever watched those period pieces, those movies, where they have a big ball? And occasionally, you know, there's a big ball, and when somebody walks in, there's a person at the front who then announces them to everybody else. You know, the, the couple walks in, and the person's like in a loud voice. There's like, the Duke and Duchess of Harbordshire Court. You know, as loud as they can. So everybody hears and looks and sees. This is a person of significance. This is a person who's important. Maybe if you don't watch those period movies, you watch The Office where Dwight throws the garden party for everybody and, and he's convinced that in order to throw a garden party, you have to announce everybody who comes in and the more loud you can be, the more honor you bestow upon them. But that's what we have to do. We have to, as, no matter what room we walk into, we have to hear God announcing us. Jeff Ridgway Mighty man of valor. You know, whether you're walking into the cafeteria at school or the office at work or the church or even into the bathroom when you're about to look at yourself in the mirror. We need to get used to listening to what God says. We need to train ourselves to hear what he says about us. 
And just um, real briefly, as you look through this passage, one other thing that he does to coax Gideon out of hiding is, is he, God is just so incredibly patient with Gideon as you look at this whole passage, right? First, he comes to him as he's in this very humble place where he's doing this work in the wine press, hiding out. And then just so incredibly patient how he, you know, he says, the Lord is with you. And then immediately Gideon's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. God has forsaken us. Where's this God who brought us out of Egypt? Where is he? Look at me, I'm hiding. Where is this strong and powerful God who loves us? Where is he, the one who does wonders? You know, that's Gideon's immediate reaction. And, and uh, you know, if I'm God, I'm like, okay. You know, that's, if that's how my kids respond to me, I'm like, okay, yeah, God has forsaken you. You know, that's what I'm tempted to say. But no, he, he sticks with him. He's like, no, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. And, and you know, on top of that, then, then he's like, okay, just wait here. I, I'd like you to show me a sign. If you could just wait here, I'm going to go get my stuff so you can show me a sign. And, and then again, he's like so patient. He's like, okay, go ahead, get your stuff. Do your thing. And, and the thing is, you don't see this in this passage, but immediately after this passage, one of the things that, that God tells Gideon to do after this is to go destroy the altars to the foreign gods that are in his own household. Gideon has been raised in a home where they've been worshiping other gods. And, and what Gideon wants to do to, to have God show him a sign is, is probably very much conditioned about how those gods would show him a sign, you know? And God's like, okay. I'll be patient with you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you the sign you want. And Gideon brings his food and puts it out, and then the angel of the Lord touches it with his staff, and, and it's consumed with fire. And he just patiently sticks with Gideon. And, and no matter how you know, frustrating Gideon might be, no matter how slow Gideon might be to, to figure things out, no matter how much he's doubting, he sticks with him. And, and that's, that's just encouraging for me to think about, as I think, Think about how God is so incredibly patient with me, right? He, he doesn't get impatient with my reluctance, with my fear, with my doubt, with my failures. He perseveres in loving me and speaking his words of grace to me and continuing to use me. And so God reassures Gideon with his patience throughout this passage, I think. And, and, and then, but this is the thing. As God coaxes Gideon out of hiding, it's, it's interesting, There's a, you see a shift in this passage, right? At the beginning of the passage, you're, you're introduced to Gideon hiding out in this wine press because he's so scared of the Midianites and what they will take from him, right? Because these Midianites are a serious threat. They've taken everything else. So he's very, very concerned and, and is taking matters to hide from them. But by the end of the passage... Who is Gideon afraid of? The angel of the Lord touches the, 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 the food and, and it, it burns it all up and then he disappears and then Gideon says in verse 22, Alas, O Lord God! For now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. If you know as you read through the Bible from earlier in the Bible that anybody who sees God face to face cannot see him and live because God is holy. And we are all sinful. We are all failures. We have all failed to love him. We all have failed to listen to him. 
And Gideon knows this. Gideon recognizes this. He doesn't deserve to be in the presence of God. And this is who he's really scared of. He realizes, he realizes you know, as scary as the Midianites are, this puts everything into perspective. Who he really needs to be scared of is God himself and what he deserves. It puts everything into perspective. And yet, what does he receive from God? Immediately, the angel of the Lord says, peace be to you. In verse 23, do not fear, you shall not die. Yeah, you, you should be scared of me, but no. What I give you is peace. What I give you is peace. Shalom, that Hebrew word, meaning everything is right with the world. Meaning rest, meaning wholeness. That is what I give you. Yeah, you might deserve to die, but you're not going to. You have peace. I'm giving you peace. And, and see, this is the thing. If, if Gideon has peace with God, there is no reason to hide anymore. If, if God is much more uh, worth fearing than anything else, including the Midianites, and yet God says, you have peace with me, then what could Gideon have to fear from anything? What reason does Gideon have to hide from anything if he has peace with the one who, who holds ultimate authority over his life? over his soul, over his future. And it's absolutely as true today as it was when Gideon was hiding in that wine press. The, the question for each of us today is this, do I have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that God has pronounced you as his beloved child? that he delights in you, that he's, that he's working all things for your good. Do you know this? Do you know that you have peace with God? That is the ultimate question that we all need to answer for ourselves. And the encouraging, the encouraging news from this passage is that if you're really asking that question, what God does is he comes toward us to give us peace. He comes toward us to give us peace. We don't have to fear him. He comes to us with his love. The, the figure of the, this angel of the Lord is a really mysterious one as you look at, as you look at him. You know, in verse 11, just this, this mysterious figure just kind of appears. He comes and he sits under the terebinth tree, right? Who is this angel of the Lord? Who is this? The angel is just means messenger. So is this just, you know, a, a person who has come from God to represent God? It's It's possible. But it's interesting, as you go through the passage, when the angel speaks, a lot of times it actually says the Lord speaks. Yahweh speaks. Could this be somebody more than simply a messenger from God? Um, and then, you know, you have Gideon's reaction when the angel of the Lord, you know, burns up the offering and then vanishes and, and Gideon seems to have a real sense that he's been in the presence of God, Right? Alas, oh Lord God, the angel, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He knows what he deserves right now. And I, I think there's real legitimate reason to believe that this might actually have been Jesus. You know, 
Jesus entered our world as a baby 2,000 years ago, but he is eternal. He has always existed. It's not that he just started to exist 2,000 years ago. He's always existed. He is God himself. And it's possible there are moments in the Old Testament where you see this, a person show up that everybody treats as God, that he acts as God. And it's very possible that this is kind of, a, you would, the big word is the, a pre-incarnate kind of manifestation of Jesus himself. Or it could simply be just a, a manifestation of God himself. That's true. But I think this is, this, the, the, the dynamics here, the movement in here of what this person does is he, he comes to Gideon in the midst of his hiding. He comes to Gideon in the midst of his sin. And what does he do? He comes to bring peace. And that's exactly what Jesus has done, right? As he entered our world 2,000 years ago, that's why Jesus came. He came in order to bring peace. And, and he did it not by sitting under a tree and saying peace, but be, by being hung on a tree for our peace. He came to bring peace to you who are far away and to those who are near, as Ephesians puts it, by sacrificing himself, by dying on the cross. And it is only through what Jesus has done that, that we can know these things in a practical way that God offers us, his presence, his pronouncement of, of, of love, of status, of significance. And so that is the question for us. Have you received what Jesus has done for you? Are you resting in what Jesus has done for you? Are, we, are you trusting in what Jesus has done for you? If you are, then you have no reason to hide. You have no reason to hide yourself from others, feeling like you're never going to be enough. You have no reason to hide from, from doing what you might feel like God might be calling you to do, even though that will require you to sacrifice things. You have no reason to hide. Know that he offers you his peace this morning through the work of Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of peace. That when we deserve your wrath and your judgment, what you offer us is your love, your forgiveness. You offer to be with us, no matter what. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to rest in, in this fact, to rest in the work of Jesus, what he has done for us, to rest in, in his offer of peace to us. And, and Father, we pray that you would help us to think about maybe different ways, different things in our lives where we are hiding. And we pray that, that knowing your peace would be the thing that gives us the confidence to step out into the open. that we would step out in the open, that, that we might be more regularly used by you to love others well, to proclaim your goodness and your kingdom, that you might receive the glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.